Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lux Digital Church. My name is Mark, and I am the pastor here at Lux. If you're here for us for the very first time, I want to welcome you in. You are a special guest. Thank you for coming and joining us. When you feel comfortable, drop something in the chat. Say hello. We just want to welcome you into the community or drop a follow here on the channel. If you follow us here on the channel, all we're going to do is send you a DM sometime this week inviting you to come and join us in Discord. RWJ21, uh, that might be the wrong numbers. 197, so close, pretty much the same numbers. Uh, welcome, we're so glad to have you here with us tonight. Annika, thank you for that raid and everybody who came in with Annika's community. Thank you guys for coming and joining us tonight. I know, Annika, that your stream was a little frustrating, but we're really glad to have you here with us tonight. Also, uh, uh, Kaomi Turtle, good to see you. Welcome in and thank you for the follow. And Super Sushi GI, welcome, we're glad to have you. Kaomi Turtle saying hello in the chat. Let's get some hellos in the chat from our team and from our church family just saying hello uh, to call me. It's, it's definitely not call me it's call me turtle um say hello to call me turtle in the chat welcome so glad to have you here with us tonight thank you for coming and joining us um we are currently in the middle of a 10-week collection of talks and we're looking at the different parables that jesus told and we're doing this all in a series called the conversationalist because there were stories that jesus told thousands of years ago that are still changing the world today in fact that's our key statement for this series jesus told stories then that are still changing the world today Jesus told stories then that are changing the world today. And we think it's worth looking at some of these sort of cryptic and strange stories that Jesus told about something called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and examine why is it that they help us define and understand what is right and wrong and what is true thousands of years later. And so we've dove into, I think, four of the stories that we're going to dive into throughout this collection of talks. And I believe this is week number five or six. I even lost myself as we've been diving into some of these stories that Jesus told. And tonight we are going to dive into a subject that's particularly sensitive and also has been talked about a lot in our community, especially over the past couple of weeks. I actually wrote this message as it was sort of like the thing that was being talked about in our community. Tonight, we're going to talk about forgiveness and we're also going to build off of what it was that we talked last week, which reminds me, if you don't follow us over on YouTube, subscribe to us on YouTube and you can catch every message from this series that you may have missed. And so if you feel like you're missing out on something, maybe you can go over there and check out the first couple of messages in this collection and also an archive of every message that's ever been preached here at Lux Digital Church. Okay, um, so before we dive in, I'm gonna ask you a question or more like, it's like, I'm gonna ask you to fill in the blank and you do not have to post this in the chat or you can be obscure about it if you want because it's a, it's a pretty personal question question. Um, if you're finishing this sentence for me, a person I cannot forgive is, or a person I will not forgive is. Usually if you're asked that question, we're pretty quick to be able to fill in the blank. There's usually somebody who immediately comes to mind, whether that was a parent that abandoned us or a person that hurt us or a spouse that betrayed us or a friend that wasn't a very good friend. Most of us can pretty quickly be able to identify that person in our life that we either can't or we struggle to forgive. Most of us have a point of pain somewhere in our story with somebody that betrayed our trust or wounded us or hurt us in such a way that we don't feel comfortable or we feel like we're incapable of forgiving that person and what they've done to us. And tonight, we're going to dive into all of that. And to be honest with you, before I get too far into what we're talking about tonight, I want to first point out um, a couple of links to messages. One, a message. One is sort of like a, a very abbreviated podcast and article by John Piper. The message is from Vox Church. I leaned on both of these resources pretty heavily when preparing for this message. So if we get an exclamation point links in the chat, it'll bring up the links to both the Vox Church message and also sort of short interview with John Piper on the parable that we are going to be talking about today. I think it's important um, that we all sort of have a frame of reference around what has informed my message because I did more research on this one than I have done in a lot of my messages here at Lux. Now, I'm not sure that you've noticed, well, I'm sure that you have, but the world is fully capable of getting offended. I mean, it's more than capable. It's prone to offense recently. I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff. I don't really do a ton of social media, but occasionally I will get on to like YouTube. Uh, they're not reels, the shorts or whatever. Um, I used to keep our Instagram account on my phone 
phone and I would thumb flick through the reels there. I don't really do a whole lot of that anymore either. And uh, it's really interesting because most of my reels and shorts are full of like sermon clips or gaming clips. And actually most of it's like really sick PC setups because I just have a tendency to linger on short videos that have really cool looking PC setups. Um, but occasionally I'll linger too long on something that's like a little political or a little bit charged. And social media just happens to know that you love to see things that will make you angry um, or make you afraid. And so they just start sending that stuff to you more and more and more. And so uh, I spent some time on a Ben Shapiro uh, thing. And so now that's like my entire social media feed on my YouTube is just like literally stuff from that or adjacent to that or against that one, one way or the other. And what I've noticed is that people right now in our culture are really, really good at getting offended. They're really good at sort of getting butthurt over all sorts of different things. Um, and it feels like 2020 really heightened that. Like during the pandemic, people were more prone to offense. And then the pandemic sort of went out of the field of our vision. But the being willing to be offended has not. Like we're all like hyper, hyper sensitive. And to be honest with you, like I am too. Like it's not like Yin's people out there are, are very easily offended. And I'm not. Like I also find myself easily offended, right? I find myself easily offended when Target only has one checkout person for the whole store and they expect me to go to like their, I don't know, their in like their uh, self-checkout, but I want to do price match or something, right? I find myself easily offended when there's somebody who's on the road who's not using their turn signal. I'm always offended when there's somebody on like a two-lane road and the person in the passing lane is driving at the same speed as the person in the slow lane and they're blocking and without a care in the world, all of the people who want to use the fast lane for what it's intended for, like going fast i find myself like i get agitated and angry and my wife always laughs because like literally we'll be going down the road okay and picture i'm gonna turn here in a second away from the microphone i'm like driving down the road and then i i pass them right i finally get out around them and this is what i do right like i i just jut my I jut my face over and just like to see what type of person they are. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Like when you pass somebody, you like size them up a little bit. Why? Because you're so offended that you couldn't get past them until the moment. Like I just, man, it's just easy to get offended right now. And it could be big things or it could be small things. It's It could be small offenses, right? Though there's not enough people at the checkout line, right? That somebody didn't give me the right change back at Subway, right? Or there, there could be little things, right? But we're, we're pretty easily offended right now in our culture. And and we uh, sort of get agitated pretty easily. And some of these things are little, but then there's some, sometimes there's big things too, right? Sometimes we deal with things that we're offended or we're hurt and they're, they're really big things, right? So when we talk about forgiveness, we're looking at all sorts of different types of forgiveness tonight, which which also includes, you know, the person who doesn't he doesn't let you merge in whenever you're trying to get on the highway. And we're also talking about those really long-standing hurts from your childhood where you were mistreated or abused or something said something bad about you. We're talking about that mistreatment or that abuse or that hurt at work with the boss who's looked over you or the coworker who didn't, you know, stand up to their side of the deal on a team project and now you look bad or the person who took credit for what you did at work and got the promotion ahead of you. Um, or we're talking about, you know, whenever our kids hurt us or wound us or we wound and hurt our children, right? These levels of forgiveness and, and in different ways inside of our culture, these different levels of offense affect us in really different ways. And, and Jesus talked about it. Now, I want to be clear, it's a sensitive subject. And so it's really hard to wade into it. And especially as the church, right? Most people with some story of church hurt or some story of being wounded by a spiritual leader have at least some point a story where they expressed some deep felt hurt or offense that they had. And they had a spiritual leader who basically told them to pray it away or a spiritual leader that told them they just need to be more like Jesus or love Jesus better. And so spiritual advice is, is used more like a club to beat them over the head um, and not a salve for healing. And so I realized that as I step into the territory talking about forgiveness and tonight also about salvation, that it's a sensitive subject for a lot of people and it is not an easy place for you to allow me to step into that arena of your life. So I want you to know that I'm stepping into that with a great deal of sensitivity, but I also want to let you know that we can't not talk about it whenever we talk about the things that Jesus taught and the stories that Jesus told. Because the concepts around forgiving our brothers and sisters and the people in our lives that wound us or hurt us or offend us 
is integral to the understanding of Jesus and how we're supposed to relate to one another and what the culture and the nature of his kingdom are supposed to be like. So let me just tell you a quick story from my own life about needing to forgive somebody. Uh, whenever I was in high school, I was sort of like, a, I was an odd kid. I still am a pretty odd person, you know, in general, a lot of times. And uh, I've really struggled to find a relationship, just really, really wanted a girlfriend. And so I found this girl at church camp. We met, we kind of hit it off. We started dating and we dated for quite a long time. Um, I, I was pretty obsessive and pretty protective and I would call it protective and loving. She would have called it, you know, oppressive and, and uh, um, I don't know, insecure maybe, right? But I felt like I was showing her the, the best sides of me, right? I was truly loving her to the very utter depths of my being. And, uh, and so we were together for a couple of years and I started in college. She was still in high school. And pretty soon after that, um, we ended up breaking up. I, I thought we were gonna be together forever, but sure enough, I show up to a, a youth group one night that she was at. I had already, you know, I was an alumni of the church youth group and all those sorts of things. And that night in the parking lot, um, she confessed she didn't really want to be with me. And so we ended up breaking up and my world absolutely crumbled, right? I was, I was so wounded. I was so hurt. I was so distraught, right? Why would anybody uh, throw away the sort of the smothering and jealous affection that I had for them? And so I just couldn't fathom why somebody wouldn't want to be with me. And, uh, and so sort of like in that arrogance and sort of like that short-sightedness and that blindness, um, the, the insult became worse when I found out a handful of days later that this girl that I'd been with for several years was begun dating or went out on a date with, with one of my good friends, like one of the people who I was pretty close with. And then I found out that he had begun making those moves while we were still together. And I felt so betrayed and, and so hurt, um, you know, ridiculous as it is at the time. I had this almost this like shrine uh, to her on top of my dresser. I mean, as close to, to like pagan worship of another human being as you could get, right? Of all of these memories from our various dates and anniversaries and gifts that I've given it all, it all sat out on the, it sounds so lame. And it is, it's so lame. If you have one of these girlfriends shrines guys like stop like you don't need to crack the whip and obey it right like so I I had it all up there right and I remember like getting so upset I just stuffed all of the I put it all in the box just like anger and angst and gave it to my dad as I can't even go to her house leave this on her front step and there was just, like so much pain inside of me I had so many feelings at the moment I was so offended I was so hurt and uh, I remember shortly after that that there was a lot of lines it was kind of drawn in the sand in the post breakup of my life. Um, it was the first real one that I had gone through. And um, I really wanted my friends to take sides. And I really wanted them to take my side. And, and I was going to let hell loose if you did not take my side in the post relationship, right? If you were her friend or her new boyfriend's friend, you were not going to be my friend. I remember my friend Alex, who's actually going to be preaching here at Luxon uh, about, what, two weeks um, and uh, two, three weeks and um, three weeks. And I remember... Um, that he kind of fell in in the crosshairs of my wrath, right? Where I was just so angry and so angsty. And I wanted so badly for them to feel the pain that I was feeling. I wanted them to go through the things. I wanted vengeance. I wanted revenge. I wanted them to have to experience the depths of anguish that I was going through um, because I was just so hurt and so angry at the time. And it took me about a year and a half to really work my way through that um, until I got to the point where I was just in a healthier place. And now actually her and her new husband live like sort of like in our area. Um, and so we see her every now and then and I'm perfectly fine. I actually saw the the guy that she started dating, he showed up at a local church that I was at, I was serving at uh, a couple of weeks ago with his new wife and their, their kids. And we got a chance to catch up, talk about Dungeons and Dragons and 3D printing. And, um, you know, we're perfectly fine now. This was years ago. Now, looking back on it, it seemed childish and silly because it was a breakup. But at the time, it was very, very real to me. And I was very wounded. And now that might not seem like a big deal to you. Perhaps the pain that you've been through and the people that you have to forgive are, are sort of, you know, makes the things that I have gone through or this moment of anguish seem sort of childish and a little silly, right? Maybe the things that you've gone through are so much bigger than, you know, a childhood breakup. And I'm not I'm not judging. I'm not going to tell you that I understand the things that you've been through, the things that you may have to forgive people for. All I'm saying is that we've all been through things and we've all gone through different seasons and different times in life whenever we've had to forgive people that we didn't really want to forgive and we didn't 
feel like we could forgive them. And Jesus knew this. And so tonight's passage actually comes to us from close to the end of the book of Matthew. And it starts off with a question that the apostle Peter asks Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And it says this, then Peter came to him, that's Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. It's interesting as other translations of this, uh, Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? So Peter is sort of traveling with Jesus at this point. He comes up to him and he's like, hey, Jesus, like how many times is a good amount of times to forgive somebody who's wronged me? Like how many times should I let the person back into my life? How many times should I forgive them for what? How, how long until I can hold against them? Maybe seven times. And what's really interesting about the passage that says brother, although I do think that Peter is talking in a grander sense, some Biblical scholars believe he's actually talking about his brother because Peter travels with Andrew. Andrew's also one of Jesus' closest disciples. And so it's like this image of like, right, his brother does the stupid thing one more time, right? He's just like, I'm freaking done with you, Andrew. I'm going to Jesus. And he, says, like, he marches up to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive this idiot? Like seven times? Is that enough? Because it's his own brother, right? You know, you kind of get that feeling, right? The, you have your own brother. It just ticks you off. I have a little brother. I sort of understand that. And he probably understands it's way better than I do because I think I've probably wronged him far more often than my brother has ever wronged me. But the point is, is that, you know, Peter is, is, some, is somehow upset and does not want to let go of the of the thing that someone has offended him with or hurt him with and he says so is it seven times that number seven is really significant to the bible it's an important number first off in the time biblical scholars believe that it was said by the jewish leaders that you need to forgive somebody three times right you give them three times and three was an important number in the bible as well the trinity was god three in one okay so it's a it's an important number all throughout the old testament as well and then the number seven is a really important number it, it represents wholeness or perfection to an ancient Jew. And so Peter says, how many times do you forgive them? I know that some people say it's three times, but do I need, is it seven enough? And Jesus responds in this really profound way. And he says, no, Peter, it's not seven times, but it's seven times 70. Some passages say 77, translation 77. The point is, is that Jesus said, you got to, you can't keep track, right? After seven, you're going to stop losing you're going to start losing track. At, at 20, you're going to have to have a scoreboard, right? Peter's saying, do not lose, tr or Jesus is saying to Peter, do not lose track of the number of times that you need to forgive. Don't, don't keep a score. Just continue to forgive your brother. Whether that brother was Andrew or that brother was any one of the other disciples or any of the people who would call themselves Jesus followers, just saying, don't stop forgiving people. And then Jesus sees this as a unique opportunity to teach something about the culture of the kingdom that he's establishing. And so he continues, and we're going to do this in different sections. He continues by saying this. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Let's pause here. Let's pause here just for a moment and examine this. So first, Jesus says, listen, there is this king, and, and a king, uh, or the ruler, or the leader, or the father, and almost all of Jesus' parables and narratives about the kingdom is representative of God, right? Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, right? This is the God. So there, this is God. So he's like, this, the God of, like, my father, the God of the Jews, right? This is the depiction is that the king in this scenario is related to him. Because when Jesus, it's really important for us to ask, like, who is who and what the things represent whenever Jesus is telling a story. And he says, so the king begins to settle accounts and he calls in all of the people who owe him something. And one of the people that he calls in owes him a phenomenal amount. Uh, there's another, if you look at other translations of the Bible, they'll translate this into talents of money. And in some ways it's years, years, years of wages. And uh, this translation in the New Living Translation says millions of dollars. I've seen other people who today would translate that to even be billions of dollars. So the whole point is, is that God is saying there was someone who was called before him, this servant, who we don't know who this servant represents just yet. And he owes him an insurmountable amount of money, right? There is no way that this servant will ever be able to pay back 
the amount of money that he owes the king. It's in it's insurmountable. It is multiple, multiple, multiple lifetimes for him to be able to get out of this debt. There's no way he's getting out of it. He is sunk. He is doomed, right? His time is up. And so uh, he just says, we're going to sell him into slavery. We're going to sell him and his wife and his children into slavery. And we get the image of this eternal bondage that's a, a product of that, right? This eternal bondage because he's going to work until he pays off what he owes. And he, he has multiple lifetimes of debt. So the king orders that this man be sent away to eternal bondage. Then we see this in Matthew chapter 18, starting a little bit later. Um, and it says this, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave the debt. So the story that we have takes a, an alarming turn, right? So at first we have this guy who owns a substantial amount of money, more than he could ever possibly pay back in multiple lifetimes to the king. The king decides to throw him and his wife and children into slavery and bondage forever for the remainder of his life. And in this passage, sort of like forever is what is what is what is being implied here and uh and and then he gets down on his hands and knees and he begs king please please give me a little bit longer now now the beg for a little bit longer is superfluous it makes no difference right the, the insurmountable debt that is owed to him is very clear that this guy's never paying it back right like he's never going to become come up with the money right it's it's like it's like the guy who owes several million dollars right and he's just like you you get caught by the loan shark and see like like pay the money back or taking off your finger right and he's like I, I promise I'll get the money again you just know this guy has no way to get the money together right there's no possible way this guy is paying the king back and it says in this translation that he is moved with pity in other translation it says he was moved with compassion and it's actually a very similar Greek phrase to what is used in another of Jesus stories the parable of the prodigal son when the father sees the son from a way off and it says that he's moved with compassion it's this imagery inside of the Greek language of this thought of being moved from the innards, being moved from the gut, that there's this guttural compassion feeling that you are just utterly moved by compassion to help this person. And so the king sees the servant and the servant begs for more time and he is moved from the gut with compassion on behalf of the servant and he chooses to forgive the entire debt. Miraculous. This guy could never have paid this off on his own, but he is forgiven. And, and then you would think, okay, well, great. Yeah, like we go to God for forgiveness. We beg for forgiveness and God gives us forgiveness. He releases our debt, that salvation. If you grew up in the church, you understand it, right? I come to Jesus. God gives me salvation. It's a ticket to heaven. And from a, a very evangelical Christian Western worldview, we think everything that Jesus talks about is heaven and hell. And so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And the story could end there, but that's not where the story ends. It goes on. And Jesus says this, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man that he had forgiven. And he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Okay, we're about done with the story let's pause one more time. So in a crazy turn of events, Jesus says that this disciple who was forgiven, the king was moved from the gut on his behalf. He was forgiven of his insurmountable debt to the king, goes out and finds a servant that owes him money. Now, this money isn't an insurmountable amount of money, but it's also not a small amount of money, right? It's a substantial debt. And he finds him and he tells him, I need that money right now. The servant refused. He said, I can't pay you, but he begs in the same way that this servant was just before the king and begged for forgiveness of his debt and the servant will not hear it. He tosses him out, tosses him out and has him thrown into jail. And then the king hears about it, right? And he grabs a hold of the servant and he throws him into a place of eternal torture, which is different than the slavery that we heard about before. And this time we're told it's eternal torture, which is a little bit unique. 
Now, all of that being said, we, we have an idea about maybe what the debt is. Maybe that's sin. We have a little bit of idea idea about who the king is. That's God. But but who is the first guy in the story? And who's the second guy? Jesus actually doesn't leave a lot up for debate or question. He really tells us in the very end of this parable, one of the last passages of scripture we're going to look at tonight. At the very end of Matthew 18, 25, 26 through 35, he says this. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. So we're servant one. Jesus says, here's a story. You, the listener, are servant one. You are the servant with an insurmountable debt and you have refused to forgive your fellow servant who owes you substantially less. And because you have refused to forgive your fellow servant, You've been grabbed by the master, by the king, and you are thrown into a place of eternal torture and torment. And then he says, if you, this will happen to you if you do not forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. It's a really powerful and impactful story that Jesus tells. And before we dive into three or four things that I think that we can learn from it, I want to make sure that we have everything in place. First off, Jesus is specifically in this case talking about his kingdom. And for Jesus, his kingdom is adjacent to heaven and hell. But he isn't just talking about the concepts of heaven and hell. For an ancient Jew and for Jesus himself, he's talking about the restoration of all things broken. The Bible is literally a book that's written from beginning to end about a story of Jesus of God partnering with his own creation to restore a broken world. And for Jesus, becoming part of his kingdom means that you're part of that restoration story, that you've chosen to ally yourself with the Son of God in such a way that you are restoring and putting back together the broken pieces of the world in accordance with how they were intended to be. And that through that, that there's some sort of a reward. There's paradise on the other side of that, which is a new heaven and a new earth that we see in the book of Revelation. That this world isn't being abandoned for a place of clouds and, I don't know, babies with bow and arrows and wings and whatever else, paved roads of gold and the things that we imagine when we think of heaven. But that instead, that there is a restoration of what we see in Genesis chapter 1 in the Garden of Eden, which is also pictured in the new heaven and the new earth and Jerusalem coming to earth in the book of Revelation at the restoration of all things. And all that Jesus is talking about and all of the things that he talks about in his parables very frequently is the story of the kingdom. Because every Jew that was coming to him at this time was asking him questions about what his kingdom would be like. Because they assumed that he was overthrowing the Romans and sitting on the throne eternally that David, their forefather, had sat on. And so they assumed they knew something. They're saying, listen, in our kingdom, in the kingdom of Israel, right, that you, you forgive people three times. So what's it going to be like in your kingdom? Like when you're king, is it enough for me to forgive people seven times? And Jesus says, let me tell you about the culture of the spiritual kingdom that I'm about to implement. A kingdom that belongs to anybody who follows and listens to me, serves me, and partners with me in the restoration of a broken and destitute world. Let me tell you what my kingdom is like, especially when it comes to the area of forgiveness. So we read this passage and it can be confusing and challenging and even hurtful because we read this and we think about the person who wounded us or hurt us, the person who betrayed us, the spouse that cheated on us, the person who abused us, the person who abandoned us, the friend that isn't there for us. And we think, how can I possibly forgive them? And if I can't forgive them, will the king indeed refrain from or refuse to forgive me? Sitting here and you're thinking, listen, Mark, it's one thing to forgive the person who cut me off in traffic. It's another thing entirely to forgive my abuser or the person who hurt me. You don't understand what they did. It's insurmountable. And maybe you're sitting here in this story and you're thinking, I'm, I'm not the first servant. I'm the second servant. I, I, don't, I don't owe a lot to the king. A lot is owed to me. Uh, maybe I owe a little bit to God. Like, perhaps I owe something to him, sure. But you don't understand. The people who have wronged me, the people who have hurt me, they owe me so much more. Their debt is so much larger. How am I supposed to forgive such pain, such hurt, such suffering, such a debt? And then I would challenge you. Let's think a little bit about the debt that we actually owe to the master. 
The Bible teaches us that God is ultimately the force of good in our world, that he is the purity and goodness that we all inwardly strive and desire. He is perfection and restoration, but he's also all-knowing, which means he has account of everything, which means he has account of everything that you have ever done, which means every single time you've gone to that site that you shouldn't go to, he has an account of that. Every time you've done something that you shouldn't have done, every place, every time you've gone someplace that you should not have gone, gone every time you used your hands to do something you should not have done with them. Every single time you've inflicted pain or hurt or on somebody else through your actions, every time you've torn the world down rather than building it up and restoring it, he has a written record of everything that you have ever done. And not only that, but he also has a written record of everything that you have ever said. Every word that has been uttered from your mouth, every bitter thing that you've said to your spouse, every discouraging thing that you've said to your child, every time you've talked behind somebody's back, every time you've tried to manipulate and gaslight and convince someone to do something that they did not want to do, every time you've mistreated, abused, gossiped, spoke poorly of, cussed, tore down, belittled, he has a record of every single wrong. And if you're still thinking that your debt against God is not insurmountable, then he also has a record of every thought you've ever thought. Every angry thought, every hateful thought, every time you've thought that person is an idiot or that person is a loser or that person is worthless or that person is ugly. Every time that you've lusted, every time something has crossed your mind that is not of God, that is destructive to your psyche and continues to be projected on the world around you. Every time your thoughts have driven you to do something wrong or evil or sinister or act in selfishness, he has written down every thought, every action, every word from your mouth, every thought in your mind, every sin you've committed, he has a record of. Everyone that you will commit will continue to be written down. So if you're still here thinking that my debt against my father, against the master, against the king is not insurmountable, but that what is owed to me is so much more, when we consider the account that God has kept and must keep, it puts into perspective the true immeasurable nature of our debt that is owed to the creator for every time we have lived outside his kingdom and have destroyed a world that he intended for perfection. So, it's one thing to say that our debt to God is insurmountable. It's another thing to say that we need to forgive every person in our life who has wronged us. It's a painful proposition. So what does it actually mean? I think I have four things that we can draw from it. First is this. Jesus never says that forgiveness is going to be easy. There's no point throughout this passage that Jesus says that when you forgive people, that forgiving people is going to be an easy thing to do. And if you're wondering if this is echoed somebody else, I'm going to go back a slide, Sheebs. This is echoed in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because he says the same exact thing that he does at the end of this passage in Matthew chapter 6. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's, it's a really hard thing to read. And so whenever we're looking at this, Jesus never once says that forgiveness that forgiving your enemies is going to be a simple matter. He, he never says that it's going to be easy. You're going to wake up in the morning and it's just going to be simple to forgive those who've wronged you. He, he never tells you that it's not going to be painful, it's not going to hurt, that it's not going to require help. If you have people who've wronged you substantially throughout your life, you very likely are going to need help to process through forgiveness. You're going to need help to overcome the things that have happened to you. I'm a huge proponent of seeking mental help and psychological help. I have a counselor that I check in with every single week. I think that every pastor should have one. I think that all of us should at one point or another see one. And if you're not going to see one, I think that you should have a wise counselor or mentor or a friend who you can be able to work through some of the wrongs and the things in your life that you do need to forgive and some of the things that you do need to let go of. But the Bible is also pretty clear about the fact that forgiveness is an action. It's not a feeling. I think a lot of times in our culture, we have a pretty, we're very confused about what it means to forgive. For us, we think forgive and forget or forgive and be restored. In many cases, we just tend to think that if I forgive somebody, that means that I have to let them back into my life, or that means that I have to forget what they've done to me, or, or that means that I have to be okay with what they've done to me. But the way that we feel and the way that we act are two very different things. And our 2023 conception of forgiveness has a lot to do with 
how we feel. But at least biblically, it had a lot to do with what you did. It had a lot to do with choosing forgiveness. And sometimes the way that we feel and the things that we do don't always work together. Sometimes we have conflicts. Sometimes we're still hurt. I want you to know that it is okay to still feel wounding and still feel hurt even when you've chosen to forgive somebody. Still feeling hurt when somebody has wronged you does not mean that you haven't chosen to forgive that person. It means that you still need healing. And that's okay. Second thing is this. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that a relationship can be restored. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that a relationship can be restored. Many times it can be. And to be honest with you, most offenses can be resolved very easily. When somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm not done with that person for all eternity. I'm not going to hold bitterness and anger and hatred towards that person for the rest of my life. They've cut me off in traffic. I'm pretty much good to go within a couple of minutes. The relationship has been restored. I'm not pondering it. I'm not stewing on it anymore, right? But there are bigger things in life that are a little bit harder. Most things can be restored. Most relationships can be. Sometimes, though, they shouldn't be. Sometimes they shouldn't be. Listen, there's no point in this passage. We read this passage, we read about forgiveness, and we just assume that means the restoration of a relationship. But at no point in this do you see the restoration of a relationship, right? There, there's no point in which this servant comes out and he meets a servant on the street who owes him money, and the servant's like, I'm blowing you off. I don't owe you any money. I don't feel bad for owing you money. And then he comes back to servant one and says, can you give me more money? And the servant says, no, I can't give you any more money. You already owe me money, right? And then the king comes down on servant one, and he's like, how? How dare you not loan him more money, right? Putting ourselves back in the path of abuse of somebody who's not repentant nor changed of their pattern of abuse with us is not about not forgiving somebody. It's giving a loan to someone who owes us a debt. It isn't repentant of the debt they owe with no intention to pay it back. There's a difference between restoring a relationship with somebody who has come to you in humility and begged for an extension on the debt that is owed and begged for forgiveness on the debt that is owed and somebody who could care less about the debt that they owe you. And there is a difference between forgiving somebody a debt that's owed and then opening yourself up to loaning a debt out to them again. This passage is not about putting yourself back in a space where you can be hurt again. It's not about returning to your abusive marriage. It's not about returning to that nasty relationship. It's not about coming back to that uncle or that friend or that father or that mother that had sexually abused you. It is not about putting yourself back into a relationship so the person has the opportunity to mistreat you or abuse you again. Forgiveness is about releasing somebody, and we're going to talk about exactly what it's about in just a moment. And finally, sometimes, occasionally, it, it literally can't be. The relationship cannot be restored. Sometimes the person is passed on, or for legal reasons, you literally cannot restore the relationship. And that doesn't mean that forgiveness cannot take place. It simply means that the relationship cannot be restored, at least not this side of eternity. So then what is forgiveness exactly? Right? If I'm telling you that forgiveness isn't a feeling, and if I'm telling you that forgiveness doesn't mean that the relationship must be restored, then what is forgiveness exactly, at least according to the Bible? And I think that's a really great question and something that I dove into quite a bit as I was preparing for this message. Forgiveness means, I think, four things. The first thing is this. Forgiveness means that we no longer celebrate our enemy's failures or wish our offender ill. Forgiveness means we no longer celebrate our enemy's failures or wish our offender ill. It means we give up the right for revenge. A perfect example is this, as I'm going through this breakup in early college, and all that I want to do is inflict as much pain upon the new happy couple as I possibly can because I want them to suffer in the same way that I suffered. I desired, I burned for revenge, and in it, I embraced bitterness. Because I wanted to feel pain because I wanted them to feel my pain. Forgiveness, according to the Bible, means releasing that and letting it go. In fact, it says this. I'll go through it really quickly in the book of Romans chapter 12. Never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone, to your friends. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. It doesn't mean that you give up justice. It means you give up the right to enact revenge. And you leave that in the hands of the Lord. 
The next thing is forgiveness means we no longer celebrate their failures. Oh, uh, did I read that already? I, I missed the first one. We give up our right to vengeance. Forgiveness means we never celebrate their failures or wish their, our offender ill. I combine those two things. Those are the first two. The third one, this is this. Forgiveness means we pray for them and we wish our offender well. We give up our right for vengeance. We do not wish them will or celebrate their failures. And forgiveness means that we pray for them. Now, this might seem really hard for you. How do I pray for somebody? We pray for them and we wish them well. Uh, listen, I've, I have prayed prayers for people who have offended me and hurt me that were Man, I, it sh I struggled with it. I really had to come to God and be like, God, I'll be honest with you. I'm in the struggle with this person right now. I want them. I want them to suffer. I want them to learn their lesson, but I'm coming before you and I'm asking you to bless them. I am choosing to act in forgiveness, even though I'm not feeling very forgiving at the moment. I'm choosing to pray for them and I'm choosing to pray that you would bless them and that you would do them well. Jesus spoke this to a group of people who would soon be arrested, stoned to death, drawn and quartered, run through with the sword, lit on fire to light garden parties, put into the Colosseum, drug away from their families and friends, murdered and killed. And he would tell them that he should pray. they should pray for those who persecute them, those who would crucify them, those who would murder them, those who would take their children and their loved ones, that they should pray for the people who are killing them. They should pray for those who hate them. And lastly, this, finally, forgiveness means that we remain open to the reconciliation with the offender. It means we give up our right for vengeance. It means we no longer wish them ill or celebrate their failures. It means that we pray for them and we wish them well. And forgiveness means that we remain open to reconciliation with the offender. It doesn't mean that we live lives without boundaries. It doesn't mean that we reopen ourselves to abuse, but it does mean that in our hearts, we have to remain open to the idea that if my offender does come to me, recognizing their debt and begging for forgiveness of it, if my offender does come with a repentant and a humble heart before me, that my heart cannot be hardened and refuse them that I have to be open to reconciliation. That doesn't mean that I have to be open to let them back into my life. That doesn't mean that I have to be open to let them be my bestie. It doesn't mean I have to be open to invite them over for Christmas anymore. It means that I need to be open to reconciliation at whatever level and what other, whatever form of reconciliation that could be. Uh, that does not mean the fullness. It just means, listen, I am willing to make peace with you. If you are willing to be humble, if you're willing to repent, if you're willing to recognize your debt to me, I am willing to forgive the debt that you owe me in reflection of the great debt that, that I owed. That because the king, because my father was moved from the gut with compassion on my behalf in such a way that he forgave me of my insurmountable sin, a debt that I would never be able to pay, that I will remain open to offer reconciliation in only the ways that I am capable to make peace if my offender desires peace. Now, this has to be walked out differently for each and every person, but I think it's important that we operate and have an understanding of what it biblically actually means to forgive somebody. Because it doesn't mean this 2023 whim that just says, well, if you, if you won't hang out with them, then you haven't forgiven them, right? Or if you don't invite them over for dinner, then you haven't forgiven them. Or if you're not back in a relationship with the person who cheated on you, then you haven't forgiven them. Or if you, that's not at all what the Bible describes as forgiveness throughout its word, throughout the word. It's these other things. It's the choices that we make. It's the actions that we take. It's the fact that we reflect on the fact that Jesus has forgiven us of so much. And as part of that, that we are moved from the gut with compassion because the culture of the king is one, that we as his followers are moved to the gut with compassion because the father was moved to the gut with compassion on our behalf. And because he was moved to the core of who he is with compassion on our behalf, we therefore reflect his character and we reflect his light and we reflect his hope and we reflect his love as his followers. And we also are moved to the gut with compassion on behalf of our offenders. And that we choose to live in actions of forgiveness, to give up our right for vengeance, to no longer wish them will or pain in their lives, to, to, to choose to pray for them and to celebrate their victories, to choose to wish them well and to choose to remain open to reconciliation if reconciliation and peace is a possibility. Which brings us to a third thing. There's a difference between embracing bitterness and working towards forgiveness. If you read this passage right here, it's pretty easy to say that you can lose salvation. 
right? Because you have this passage, told you we're going to get into this. You have this passage where the first servant goes to the king. He is owed a great deal. And then the king forgives him. He doesn't forgive his brother. And then God comes down on him. The king comes down on him and removes him forgiveness and sends him to eternal torment. And it's pretty easy to see if we only see this parable through the lens of salvation, of eternal life or eternal death, that Jesus is specifically talking about the fact that God can and will refrain from forgiving us if we do not forgive others when our time is up and we stand before him face to face. But I don't actually think that's what this passage specifically is talking about. There's lots of passages in the Bible that if that is your form of interpretation, you can find lots of reasons to believe that salvation is something that you have to earn and it is something that you can lose. Here at Lux, we believe that you can't earn it. It's a free gift and we believe that you can't lose it, that there's nothing including yourself that can snatch you out of the hands of God once you're known by him. So what does it mean? Well, one thing that it certainly means is that bitterness destroys our lives. I've heard it said many at times that bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And so if we choose not a life of forgiveness, not a life of working towards forgiveness, but instead we choose a life of hardening our heart and embracing bitterness and choosing to be angry and bitter and unforgiving, that there's a firm reality in which God will release us to that torment. That God does not prevent us from living in hell on earth. That there is torture for our souls in store for us if we choose a heart of bitterness and unforgiveness. If we choose to embrace it, that God certainly will release us from his kingdom purposes and his work here on earth. And he will allow us to fester in our bitterness and our pain and our suffering. And he will allow it to get worse if that's the choice that we make. He's not going to force us to forgive and he's not going to force us into the kingdom. If we want to exit his kingdom work and we want to choose bitterness and unforgiveness and hurt in a hardened heart, he will allow us to choose it. He will allow us to embrace it. And that very real hell on earth means stress and pain and suffering and no freedom. You can look, medical studies will show you today that people who choose bitterness over forgiveness, statistically, even in a secular medical journal will tell you they live with more stress and more health problems. There are very physical, real-life ramifications for choosing a hardened heart. But more than that, I think that Jesus is, in a certain way, talking about eternity. But I think what he's saying here is that the servant was never really part of the king's kingdom. He was never moved with compassion. He was never spoken to in the way that the king's heart was moved towards his. Vox Church said this in theirs, he said, and I thought it was a cool turn of phrase. He said, an unforgiving heart is representative of an unforgiven heart. An unforgiving heart is representative of an unforgiven heart. So here's what I don't want you to think. I don't want you to think that you're going down the road and the person will not let you merge and you finally get in behind them and you're ticked off and you're not forgiving them and you go to go around them and there's a horrible car accident and you're at the pearly gates and God's like vetoed you didn't forgive that guy right before you died and you didn't forgive your brother of their sins against you so I'm not forgiving you off to hell with you. But what I also want you to know that if you are harboring unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, if you're festering in it, if you're living in it, if you're embracing it, if you're refusing to let it go, if you like the way it makes you feel, then you haven't truly understood the outrageous forgiveness that the Father has given and offered to you. That if, you have, if, if you're harboring it in your heart and you're choosing to live in bitterness and unforgiveness, then you have yet to embrace the forgiveness that is offered to you through the Father, through the King. That you still bear an insurmountable debt. That you cannot accept forgiveness from the insurmountable debt and continue to live in a place where you are unbothered by your unforgiveness and bitterness of heart. This isn't speaking about people who are trying to let go and who are trying to heal. This isn't talking about people who still feel hurt or still feel wounded by the ways of the world. God is close to the brokenhearted. He knows when you are wounded. This isn't talking about folks who are, in, who are, who are doing their best. They're trying to let go. They're trying to forgive. They're trying to heal. They're trying to find restoration. He's talking about those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus but choose a life that is contrary to the kingdom. Finally, and I think the fourth point, which comes more from my experience than anything else, and we're going to get ready to close with this, the forgiveness of Jesus frees us from the pride of victimhood. Now, I want to be clear before I don't get, I don't want to get too far into this because this, this is important that, listen, 
I don't want you to feel like I'm victim shaming by this statement. But the reality is that people who choose to stay in a victim mentality and refuse to move to become a survivor rather than a victim of their circumstances and the things that have been done to them carry with them a great deal of pride that prevents them from accepting the beautiful grace and forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a certain chip on your shoulder that says, I won't forgive you. I don't want to forgive you. I like being a victim. I like being hurt. I like the attention. I like being in this place. This is comfortable to me. I understand this. I want to remain the victim. I don't actually want to heal. I don't want to move on to become a survivor. I want to remain a victim. And the outrageous forgiveness of the king frees us from the pride of victimhood. And it allows us to heal and move to become survivors. And all of that being said, this, my friends, is why it matters. And we're going to close. Forgiveness is more than a good idea. It is woven into every part of Jesus' kingdom. Forgiveness is more than a good idea. It's more than a psychological thought. It is woven in to every piece of Jesus' kingdom. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, should you forgive three times? Should you forgive seven times? No, you should forgive seven times, 70 times. You should stop keeping track. I hope and pray that our church becomes a place that's known for the fact that we don't practice forgiveness, but forgiveness is our way of life. As a people, that we continue to forgive, that we refuse and deny our right to vengeance, and we leave it in the hands of God, that we do not wish our offenders ill, we do not celebrate in their failures, that we as a people pray for our enemies, we uplift them and we wish them well, and that we remain open to restoration of relationships. That we would be a people of forgiveness, not just a people that forgive. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this church. I know that this has been a tough subject. I know it's hard to talk about, and I know I talked forever. But I know that this isn't something that we can just breeze over or skim past because this deals not just with forgiveness, but it also deals with salvation. It also deals with the way that your kingdom works. Help us to be people of your kingdom, people who live in the fullness of forgiveness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.